Ruskin Shisky will not face charges in the shooting of Jacob Blake, Kenosha County District Attorney Michael Gravely announced Tuesday. Shisky, a white officer, shot Blake, a 29-year-old black man, seven times in the back while responding to a domestic incident on August 23, 2020. Blake survived the shooting but was left paralyzed from the waist down. It is my decision now that no Kenosha law enforcement officer will be charged with any criminal offense based on the facts and laws, Gravely said Tuesday. Tuesday's announcement comes as anger continues to mount across the country at the repeated deaths of black people at the hands of police. The summer of 2020 saw protests, some of which turned violent, calling for police reform and an end to police brutality sparked by the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, identified by the Wisconsin Justice Department in September as officers Vincent Arenas and Brittany Moronic. Blake will also not face charges, Gravely said. Shisky told investigators that he used deadly force during the chaotic encounter because he was afraid Blake, while attempting to flee the scene, was trying to kidnap a child in the backseat of the vehicle. The Wisconsin Department of Justice had said Blake had a knife in his position and the weapon was found on the floorboard of his vehicle. Blake himself told authorities he possessed a knife, Gravely said. Jacob Blake, while actively resisting, arms himself with a knife, gravely said, adding that he's heard reports of Blake say he was unarmed. It's absolutely incontrovertible that Jacob Blake was armed with a knife during this encounter. All the discussion that he's unarmed contradicts even what he himself has said multiple times. Gravely said he called on U.S. Attorney's Office to do a parallel civil rights investigation that would be a separate investigation with its own conclusion. Blake's lawyers expressed disappointment in the decision, obviously. So Blake family attorney Ben Crump and co-counsels Patrick A. Salvi II and Bayavri Lamar released a statement shortly after the announcement expressing their disappointment in the decision. We feel this decision failed not only Jacob and his family, but the community that protested and demanded justice. The statement read, Officer Shesky's actions sparked outrage and advocacy throughout the country, but the district attorney's decision not to charge the officer who shot Jacob in the back multiple times, leaving him paralyzed, further destroys trust in our justice system. This sends the wrong message to police officers throughout the country. Blake's father, Jacob Blake Sr., on Monday called for charges against the officer while urging Kenosha to stand up and make some noise. Now, what I find interesting, right, because I'm not going to say what, what is right or wrong, right? I'm not someone who should be uh, judging that. But I find it interesting that seven shots, like it took seven shots to do this. So he added, let's be heard around the world. We're not going to stop in Kenosha. We're headed to D.C. We're headed to Nancy Pelosi's office. We're headed to whoever is going to be in charge of the Senate because this has got to be federally heard. For not just my son, but for everybody who has suffered police brutality. Everyone. Blake's uncle, Justin Blake, said his nephew has been working to recover from the incident and has become our new hero. The way he is talking, this, taking this mental approach, the way he puts all his effort into his therapy and the passion, if anybody could walk again one day, it would be my nephew, Justin Blake said. 
Ahead of the decision, Kenosha officials prepared for potential unrest with the city council granting Mayor John Antaramin emergency powers once the announcement is made. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers also announced Monday he is mobilizing 500 National Guard troops ahead of the decision at the request of local officials. Our members of the National Guard will be on hand to support local first responders, ensure Kenoshans are able to assemble safely, and to protect critical infrastructure as necessary, ever said in the statement. National Guard members stayed outside a museum Tuesday, January 5th, 2021 in Kenosha, and Terry Rose is an attorney whose office is downtown Kenosha. As he watched crews board up businesses near the courthouse, he told CNN he thinks it represents a community in fear. I guess it's necessary, but I don't like the feeling that this is necessary, Rose said. I mean, they have 500 troops here. They have the police department and the sheriff's department. They have other agencies. But the assumption that we're going to be firebombed is the wrong assumption. Von Mays, an organizer with the community task force, said the precautionary steps Kenosha has taken are hurtful. We've seen these tactics a number of times in Milwaukee and across the state where they call themselves preparing for unrest. The unrest happens when there has been an action and there is a reaction to it, he said. For instance, if there is a protest and people start to get tear gas, or when you start to posture up like that without having anything going on, then it becomes insightful within itself. Now, I'd have to disagree with that because every time, for the most part, that there's been a protest, it's turned into a riot and then people tend to get tear gassed, right? Because there's always going to be a bad apple within a protest that wants to damage something, period. Like, I mean, that's a fact. There's going to be a certain percentage of people from a protest that want to destroy property. So in an op-ed published in the Kenosha News on December 27th, Mayor Interim and Police Chief Daniel Miskins said at the time they did not know what the decision would be or when it would arrive, but they said they would be prepared. What we do know is that regardless of the decision, people will have differing opinions and strong emotions about it. That is everyone's right, whether you agree or disagree, we ask that you express your opinions peacefully and lawfully, the officials wrote. The officials touched on the violence that erupted as, at protests in the aftermath of the lake shooting, during which two people were killed and a third was seriously wounded in a shooting during a protest. We will not, we cannot, tolerate the kind of violence we saw on our streets earlier this year, and we will take definitive steps to protect our residents and businesses. Interman and Miskins wrote. So yeah, protests can easily turn into riots. People got to be extremely careful with that. And I perfectly understand why they would take measures to kind of be prepared for potentially a riot. Right? So it's going to be interesting. Kevin O'Leary criticizes stimulus checks. After months of uncertainty, the $900 billion coronavirus relief package will provide a much-needed lifeline for jobless Americans. It includes a $300 boost to weekly unemployment benefits for 11 weeks and for those with both wage and self-employment income, an additional $100 boost. It also extends unemployment benefits for gig workers through mid-March. Without the package, many important provisions from the CARES Act would have expired in, the, in December and left millions of people without unemployment benefits 
as they would not normally be eligible. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of weird things with this package as well. Like, it would have been much easier to just give everyone money, period, instead of just adding a whole bunch of weird stuff to it. However, according to entrepreneur Kevin O'Leary, more assistance should have been provided for unemployed Americans rather than funding package provisions like the $600 stimulus checks and the $284 billion Paycheck Protection Program, or the PPP. He tells CNBC Make It. I would have preferred that Congress took the money and gave it all directly to individuals that are in dire straits due to extended unemployment as a result of the pandemic, says O'Leary, an investor on ABC's Shark Tank and chairman of O'Shares ETF. He would recommend Congress use the funds to extend unemployment benefits, for example. He said, if you became unemployed after March and are still unemployed, you get $2,000 per month for the next 12 months or until you find work. Michael Evermore, Senior Researcher and Policy Analyst for Social Insurance at the National Employment Law Project, agrees that the relief passed was far too little. Frankly, not just because I am a UI expert, I think if something should be increased, it should be the weeks in the amount of UI, Evermore says. Money going to people who otherwise would have no income isn't just addressing the most urgent need, it goes to the people with the highest propensity to spend it. What O'Leary proposes isn't so far-fetched. As Evermore points out, $2,000 a month is basically what the federal pandemic unemployment compensation was, referring to the initial $600 weekly boost to state-provided unemployment aid enacted in March due to the CARES Act, which expired in July. I, of course, am all for that, she says. However, Evermore knows that taking away other stimulus package provisions, like the stimulus checks or the forgivable PP loans, creates a false dilemma. There are a lot of people who aren't technically unemployed, who don't have work, and who are pretty desperate, Evermore says. So we need options to make sure that everybody who is out of work or unable to work through no fault of their own can keep themselves afloat. We need a wide array of options there. That might be the case, but again, like a $600 stimulus check, how's that going to keep anyone afloat, right? And the $2,000 a month for unemployment, right? What motivation would people actually have to find a job for a year, right? So literally previously expressed his stance in October before the $900 billion package passed in December. I don't want those unemployed to be in a great painful space, he said in October. Amazon Jeff Bezos has topped the list for the largest charitable donation of 2020. According to the Chronicle of Philanthropy, Bezos' $10 billion gift, known as the Bezos Earth Fund, designed to fight climate change, topped the list. In November, Bezos announced the first 16 grants from the Bezos Earth Fund, totaling $791 million, to 16 different organizations. The donation, first unveiled in February, is one of the largest individual donations made so far to fight the effects of climate change. At the time, Bezos, whose current net worth is more than $185 billion, said climate change is the biggest threat. 
to Earth and the money he was donating will fund scientists, activists, non-government organizations, any effort that offers a real possibility to help preserve and protect the natural world. We can save Earth, Bezos continued. It's going to take collective action from big companies, small companies, nation states, global organizations, and individuals, and I'm committing $10 billion to start and will begin issuing grants this summer. Earth is the one thing we all have in common. Let's protect it together. In February 2020, a study was published that said extreme weather events caused by climate change could result in an economic recession, the likes of which we've never seen before. The list of the largest 2020 charitable donations also includes notable contributions from a number of other corporate titans. Nike co-founder Phil Knight and his wife, Penny, came in second and third with their $900 million and $300 million donations to the Knight Foundation in the University of Oregon. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan, made the fourth largest donation at $250 million to the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Home Depot co-founder and Atlanta Falcons owner Arthur Blank came in fifth with a $200 million gift to build a new hospital in Atlanta. AMC is still seeking $550 million for a lifeline as stock price closes at record low. The world's largest movie theater chain is still about $550 million shy of its fundraising goal. On Tuesday, AMC CEO Adam Aaron said the company had managed to raise just over $200 million of the $750 million it needs to fund cash requirements through the end of the year, this year. So we need to raise more, but we're working hard to do that, and we've laid out a plan and a blueprint to get there, he said. Whether we get there or not, only time will tell. Aaron's appearance on CNBC's closing bell comes the same day that the, his company's stock fell to a 52-week intraday low of $1.91 per share and closed at a record low of $1.98 per share, which is so, so tiny. AMC has been crippled by the coronavirus pandemic and its shares reflect investors' lack of confidence in the movie theater industry's immediate recovery. Shares of the, com shares of the company fell more than 70% in 2020. Movie theaters were forced to shutter in mid-March and spent more than six months last year close to the public. AMC is operating around 400 of its nearly 600 theaters with limited seating capacity and shorter hours. Theaters in New York City and parts of California remain closed. The company is in the process of trying to renegotiate its rent payments with the landlords and is seeking reductions, abatements, and deferrals. Should the company not be able to secure additional sources of liquidity, it re reiterated, it may have to enter bankruptcy proceedings. AMC is not eligible for grants from the $15 billion Save Our Stages Act, which is part of the much larger $900 billion coronavirus relief package because it is a publicly traded company with locations in more than 10 states. AMC headed into the pandemic with nearly $5 billion in debt, which it had amassed by outfitting its theaters with luxury seating and from buying competitors such as Carmike and Odeon. The company has already renegotiated its debt to improve its balance sheet 
and in December received a $100 million investment from Mudrake Capital Management. We have our work cut out for us, Aaron said. We do need to raise more money to get to the other side. Having said that, we've done that four times already, and that's our focus. Macy's has notified the employees that about 45 of its department stores that they will close by the middle of this year, CNBC has learned. The closures are part of a previously announced plan by Macy's to shut 125 locations by 2023, which the retailer outlined last February. As previously announced, Macy's is, in, is committed to right-sizing our store fleet by concentrating our existing retail locations in desirable and well-trafficked A and B malls, a spokeswoman told CNBC in a statement. To that end, we announced several store closures today that align to the guidance we provided in February 2020, she said. These closures bring us closer to achieving the right mix of mall-based stores. There are about 1,000 malls operating in the U.S. today, according to commercial real estate services firm Green Street Advisors. A large majority of those malls are classified as so-called B, C, and D-rated malls, meaning they bring in fewer sales per square foot than an A mall. An A++ mall could bring in as much as $1,000 in sales per square foot, for example, while a C++ mall does about $320. Macy's chief executive Jeff Jeanette had previously said the company was still betting on the best malls in the country, but that it would look to grow off-mall in the future. In November, Macy's reported a quarterly same-store sales decline of more than 20%. As consumers cut back their spending on clothes and accessories at the mall during the COVID pandemic, digital sales grew 27%, but those gains weren't enough to offset losses at its stores. That trend showed up across the retail industry during the holidays. Shopper visits to brick-and-mortar stores fell 33% year-over-year for the six-week holiday period, according to Sensormatic Solutions, which tracks footsteps with cameras. That came in below Sensormatic's initial projection that traffic would fall 22% to 25%. Macy has been trying to stay afloat in a tumultuous retail environment. More than three dozen retail companies, including JCPenney, Neiman Marcus, and Lord & Taylor, filed for bankruptcy protection in 2020, as consumers have increasingly been steering clear of department stores in particular. A list of the roughly 45 Macy's locations slated to close could not immediately be obtained by CNBC. Liquidation sales have already started at some locations, and the rest are slated to start later this month. Macy's operates 544 of its namesake department stores, along with 34 Bloomingdale's locations, 19 Bloomingdale's outlets, and 166 Bloom Mercury shops, according to its website. Check out 40inbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons and courses, and do you want to make money online? Learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. Get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account, and automate your investing with Acorns down in the description below.